First Class Sailing, take the helm. Welcome to another in our series of regular podcasts with First Class Sailing. I'm Kerry Herford-Jones and joining me today is a second chance to speak to Nigel Rene, who is both a Yachtmaster instructor and examiner. And uh, we today are going to have a bit of a delve into the wonderful world of the Ocean Yachtmaster, in particular reference to astro-navigation. Nigel, let's tee things up first of all and just to clarify the difference, if you like, between the Yachtmaster Offshore and the Ocean Yachtmaster and what that actually means for potential candidates. And perhaps you can give me the history behind it as well. If you go back 30 or 40 years, the Yachtmaster Ocean was primarily a vocational qualification. Uh, most most offshore yachts were using sextants to help navigate as a major tool they used to use. Uh, but the Yachtmaster Ocean really allowed somebody who'd done the extra work and does the qualifications to put a laurel wreath around their um, their RYA badge <laughs> yeah. on their tie or in their hat. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, Saying that over the last 20, about 25, 30 years, I suppose, realistically, it's expanded more commercially, mm. uh, more legal responsibilities. Uh, it's now re- a requirement for commercial skippers who work, work in the ocean environment. Right. That includes clip around the world race boats, commercial boats doing the Ark, uh, even the Volvo and a lot of the charitable trust yachts, etc. More importantly on that, the super yachts uh, deck officers now use it as a shortcut to become their chief mate. Right, uh, right. And so the MCA are getting more and more involved. Um, so not so much involved, but aware of what we're doing. Yeah, yes. and it's, so it's, it's setting a gold standard, if you like, which is internationally recognised. It is, uh, and I have candidates from all over the world um, I had a lady a few years ago flew in from Hong Kong to do her Yachtmaster Ocean and two days later flew back again. Wow. Okay. So it, internationally it is a, a major qualification now for seafarers, yes. And the actual substance of the course itself, uh, clearly there are a number of elements that go into making the whole. Yeah, for the, the actual course side of it, the vast majority of time is spent on cestal navigation um, because that is the, the new aspect to most people. Uh, yeah. Most people coming on the course have got a good idea of world passage planning uh, or passage planning anyway. We just expand the subject up and likewise metrology, we're expanding it to world metrology. But the astro navigation does take the, the majority of the time on the course. And you've got certainly people there from all walks of life, and to be quite honest with you, uh, certainly an amount of an an ability to absorb technical information. There's quite a lot of tools of the trade they can be using and are being used to help people these days that wasn't available 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, but it still gets to the point where you need to be able to work it through without using all the gizmos um, of technology as well. Yeah. So that... If you had a complete power system failure, you could actually use the sextant, the almanac, site reduction tables, etc., to be able to work out where you are. 
and you talked talk to me a little bit about uh, the size of the Earth, uh, Nigel. Well, I mean, that's referenced, if you like, in terms of how we fit into the overall scheme of things. Because, you know, it's a big old planet. We're not that big, are we? Actually, we're insignificant. Um, the size of the Earth compared to the Sun, never mind the planets we're using, we're absolutely tiny. Mm. Uh, we're not even a pixel on the big screen in some cases. So the, the, majo the majority of what we do, we don't even take the Earth's three and a half thousand mile radius into consideration. Mm. We do all of our calculations as if we're in the centre of the planet. And once you start to get that into your head, it starts to break it down, I presume, into bite-sized pieces. Yeah, well, first things we need to look at is time. Um, the, if we could redesign the Earth, it'd be, or the way we look at time and um, longitude and navigation, it'd be far simpler. But we've got... 360 degrees uh, and 24 hours in a day. So every hour is 15 degrees. So it's getting your head around time zones. Um, time zones are political, mm. um, realistically. Yeah. And some countries are even in the wrong day, never mind the wrong time zone. <laughs> so it's, um, it's getting your head around that to start with. There are simple ways of doing it. Uh, I always say, just keep a watch on universal time, which is mm. the good old greatest yeah. mean time to, yeah. to most of us. Yeah. And uh, that takes a, a big chunk of mental maths out. Mm. And that's what you're trying to do, is to try and, I think your word was a really good one, is demystify this a bit, break it down into component parts for people. Yeah, it's not complicated. We've, we've been mapping the Earth this way for centuries. Mm. Um and I think probably even four or 5,000 years has been used to a certain extent, uh, looking at some ancient artifacts that have, have appeared over the years. Um, I suppose then they didn't have television, so all I had to do was look at the sky and, and work out what it was all about. Yeah. And, uh, but it it's, is not complicated. It's looking really at, at angles between us and the celestial world. And a lot of the hard graft has been taken out. I mean, you, you've talked about tables, you've talked about electronic gizmos, but there are a lot of support elements. You've talked about tools of the trade a bit as well. There's a lot of research out there that's already been done. It's about putting it all together, I presume. It is. It's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. And we sort of start with, I mean, the sextant is the main tool we use, or certainly on deck. And all that does is measure angles from the horizon up to the body, whether it's the sun, the moon, planets or stars. And based on that measurement, and then putting it against a theoretical triangle, which I can talk about a little bit if you wish, yep. which is called the PZX triangle. Um, we do a comparison and it gives us a position line. Actually, there's a, 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 a symmetry to it, but a logic to this which, you know, you're following in the path that's been well trod, aren't you, when you're putting this kind of stuff together? Yes, and the, the first thing to realise is, for anybody, is don't try and reinvent the wheel. Yeah. It yeah. runs fairly <laughs> smooth as it is. Uh, we do get some 
some students who want to re redesign it in their own method. <laughs> um, until you really know how to do it the proper way, yeah. don't try and rethink it. Yeah, yeah. Go follow, um, fo follow, follow, the follow the process. Yes, learn. I mean, yes, there are shortcuts. I use a lot of shortcuts. Uh, I teach shortcuts. I teach um, reality checks. There's there's some basic things that I teach, which is if you're taking a morning sight, actually the final angle should be somewhere towards the east. Hmm. Right? Yep, makes sense. Uh, if it's afternoon, it yep. should be somewhere towards west. the west. Yep. Uh, so I also do a comparison between the bearing of the body, which most people don't actually teach, and the actual final answer. So there's lots of things mm. you look at the input mm. information and the output information, and there should be some correlation. If yeah. not, you've made a mistake. So just it's keeping it simple. Yeah, and and knowing where the obvious mistakes are made, uh, and I think you know we've all learned. We all learn that way. Sometimes you have to make the mistakes in order to learn the lesson. Um, and, and that's certainly coming across from this. Other parts of the course that you yeah. teach, Nigel, are around obviously passage planning and weather as well, aren't they? These are big, big fundamental parts of what you're getting across and, and looking to examine on. Yeah, we, we do a session on world weather. Um, and based on that, I actually go back to the very essence of weather before anything else happens realistically, just, which is just heat. To be honest, all weather is is heating and cooling and a, a modification of the wind masses moving between the two and Coriolis effect and if you apply the basic principles on weather um, then you adapt it to most situations in the world you just need initially apply logic mm. and upscaling and downscaling things yeah um, offshore sailors talking uh, maybe sea breezes, land breezes. Mm. Well, a monsoon environment is just a sea breeze and a land breeze. <laughs> Escalated by the power scale. of 10. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, I'd probably say a thousand. <laughs> well, quite. <laughs> right. And again, that logic applies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's teaching. It's basically the, the basic building blocks. It's the same on the astro side. We go through some exercises to start with. And you sort of think, why are we doing this? right you can't build a house unless the foundations are there first and quite often then you put the the landscaping around it you can't see the foundations mm -hmm. but if they're not there yeah. the house falls down and a lot of the course is actually putting foundations um passage planning again mm. clearly a, a huge part of this as well uh making people just really taking the time to look at uh, the bigger picture as well as the detailed picture. Well, a lot of the passage planning really is in, is often interfacing the weather into passage planning. Hmm. The a lot a big thing now I think is the politics yeah. of passage planning. Good point. Uh, I think the world has changed dramatically when I first started doing long distance work, and we only had sort of one big enemy. Um, <laughs> now there's 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 an awful lot of complications in the world now when it comes yeah. to passage planning. I think at the moment, it's probably even more difficult mm. because we've got um, the 
coronavirus issues, which is also going to affect boats going out of harbours, etc. Of course. So there's, but a lot of it interfaces with the weather. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of information out there. It's how we extract that information. It diff- it's, it's hugely different from depending on the, the criteria of the candidate. Mm. Uh, okay. If you're a, a commercial deck officer, you've got commercial regulations to adhere to. Yeah. And if you don't comply with those, you can't leave harbour. Yeah, simple as. So, yeah, if you're the family sailor, it's a little bit easier because you can tramp around the world at your own pace, Yeah, looking at maybe two or three locations in advance all the time. Yeah, true. Um, then you get onto the sort of the racers who race around the world and do things and mm. they have a different outlook entirely mm. Mm. and mm. their idea of i suppose ocean going boats and um yeah their passage planning is going to be a lot different and their tools are different as well yeah um, yeah I get you've got that. the boats they've got full internet broadband <laughs> yep uh down to the the cruising boat there maybe doesn't yeah and it, so and and from your point of view, it's pitching it. Picture. Yeah. Yes. I mean, for an examination purposes, quite often I haven't a clue how I'm going to run the exam until they start the exam. Uh, and I and I get to feel what the candidate's background is, and then we we work it from there. Yeah, and that almost in a way is a is a revelation in itself, Nigel. Is that this isn't perhaps uh, speaking personally not quite as all set in stone as one might think. You know, I think we, we look at the RYA examination, we look at the RYA courses, and you're thinking, well, you know, it's just you have to follow the process, yeah, follow it step by step by step. This is a, this is a bit more detail, this is a bit more drilling down into what's appropriate for the candidates. And I, I think that's a really important point you're making there, is that there is a degree of, I say flexibility, not quite the right word, but there's enough there to actually make sure that what people are being examined on and what they're learning is appropriate to what they're going to then be doing with those qualifications. Yes, or what they've done. I mean, sure. one, one thing I can't guarantee is what we, what we'll be doing in the future. Sure. But I, there's no point in me looking at standard operating procedures um, or with a family sailor. Uh, but there again, if I'm working with, a, say, a super yacht deck officer... Uh, I'm very interested in this, how the reactor operating procedures and the commercial side. So every exam is different. And I mean, giving you a, a broad base, hmm. uh, recently I had a, an Alaskan trawler captain right. who <laughs> was across the UK. He was also a sailor as well, but he was using it as his qualifications driving his trawler. Um, Totally different exam from him mm. working the the Bering Sea for six months a year Gosh. off Alaska. Wow! To um, <sighs> had a couple of Vendée Globe sailors a few years ago, who literally they just sail around the world as fast as they possibly can in a totally different environment. Mm. To the family sailor, to the commercial uh, travel trust deck officers and things sure. or watch leaders. Mm. Um, it is actually a big learning curve for me for myself as well because quite often I get some very interesting people 
They've got some very interesting specialist subjects. Indeed, yes. And it, it, as you say, keeps you interested and keeps it fresh for your, from your perspective because you're seeing a lot of people. I don't know how many people you see in the course of a, of a if I'm inverted commas, normal year. But, um, yeah, you want to keep yourself interested as well, don't you? I think the most I've done is 23 ocean candidates in a year, which is, works out about one every two weeks, I suppose, wow. over the complete year. Goodness me. Uh, which is a lot. Um, usually it's not quite as many as that usually sort of in the teens right um goodness so vast majority i mean people don't do your master ocean really until ready for it sure sure yeah so the vast majority actually pass yeah and there's a certainly from my aspect i've got a standard email that goes out to all candidates before running the exam and it often weeds out a few people who are maybe not quite ready yet because we, based on that, we'll say, mm, can I come back to you in maybe a couple of months' time? Yeah, yeah. They can see where they well, are. Yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and, yeah. and that helps as well, doesn't it's, it? Yes, because let's face it, I'd rather have a nice chat with somebody, go through all, tick all the boxes and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and write a nice simple pass report yeah. than have to go into a <laughs> not quite ready exam report. Yeah. And and um, I don't like using the word fail. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Not quite ready is a better way of putting it. Um so what's yeah. the length of time for taking a qualification such as this, Nigel? What what sort of length of time are we talking about? Well once somebody's done the all the prerequisites mm. and submitted the sites, etc. It generally takes about an hour and a half to two hours chat okay. yeah. uh, to go through the exam. Okay. Uh, and we talk all aspects from really passage preparation uh, through to navigation and beyond, yes. Okay. And somebody who's who's not quite ready yet, as you say, they're looking into their, their if you like, their experience to date. Um, there's obviously the course to go on beforehand to, to get them up to that speed. And again, a number of, of different companies offer these kind of courses, don't they? Yes. I mean, most ROAA establishments will offer it. Um, there's a limited number of instructors, yep. which is one thing. Yeah, good point. Um, there's, which is, it's getting the instructors who have been there and done it enough in the past. Yeah. Um, which is the... the interesting side of it uh, <laughs> because it's one thing learning it and then starting teaching it mm. and there's one thing knowing it and done it and done it and done it yeah yeah uh, then starting to teach it yeah because that one of the challenges is the knowledge level to teach it is much higher than the knowledge level required to do just to do it well i actually from my aspects uh teaching it i pr i learned a lot from teaching it mm. okay because as a user, mm. I knew I could get away with. Mm. But as a teacher, I've got to be exact yes. in some cases, yes. Yes. But you're still enjoying it. That comes across clearly. Uh, and clearly, your candidates are enjoying it. Uh, so that's, that's, that's all a tick, tick, tick from your point of view. Um, and, and what do you wish you oh, saw? Yes. What, what do you wish you saw more of in, in terms of candidate preparation or candidate um, being ready for this, this kind of stuff? What do you think? What would you like to see more of? Yeah. Well, the vast majority of candidates are well prepared. Um, they are fairly meticulous, and actually, in some cases, they're almost over prepared themselves. Okay. I get some really good pre-exam 
portfolios where people put together a, a set of information about the passage, their sites, the preparation, uh, the, the crew management, challenges, uh, excerpts from the log, wow. um, interesting aspects from the log. Mm. So actually some of these things can go into sort of 50 or 60 pages quite Goodness. easily. Uh, do, I read do I read every word? No, I don't. No. Uh, I I'll skim through. I know, I know what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah it gives you um, a flavour. And that's, yes, and I'm looking for things that maybe have happened in their sailing career mm. um, or any expert skills they have as well to see, um, to see what makes them a bit more interesting. Yeah. The, what I don't like is when somebody just sends me the bare minimum, which is a, a sun run sun and a compass check right. in an application form. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I've got to really, I've got to, to then work out, do they actually know everything else mm. or, or not? Mm. Mm. So I've got, to ask, I've got to be a bit more in depth in questions. I've then, I haven't got a publication to talk around yeah, as well. That. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for, for instance, some people have, have had some very interesting situations, had one guy lost two yachts to, to electrical fires. Goodness. Um, and, oh, yeah, it's quite in, very interesting. He's a yacht delivery skipper, a Danish guy. And uh, I picked up on just the little things. He sent a, all, a, a lot of information in. And he had his kit list, his packing list, for right. when he goes into deliveries. Fire, fire extinguishers are probably fire extinguishers are probably strong in there, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. But it actually had in there smoke alarm. Uh, says, so why do you why do you take a smoke alarm on boat deliveries? He says, "Well, I've lost two boats to fires." God. Oh, tell me, <laughs> right? So you imagine he took me off at a tangent to do with fire safety and boats, which has become a bit of a specialist feature as far as he was concerned. Sure, uh, I've had candidates who've who've lost boats. Mm. I've had candidates who've run out of water uh, mm. because of a, a a tank error basically gosh so they were on, on short rationing and that all comes so it's all less what have you learned from that yeah. what's and yeah. talk give me more details yeah so um people have had crew managerial problems i think mm. best described as <laughs> yeah um it's a little bit like an ocean passage is a little bit like big, big brother big brother on the water yeah yeah right? you you can put a dozen people on a boat for three weeks. You can imagine the scenes, mm. right? Mm. Um, I'd, it, I'm not sure we make interesting footage where once a week somebody walk the plank. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but it, from experience, it takes good managerial skills. Yeah. Right? And then some. Uh, you can't always select your crew if they're paying. Mm. Right, um, <laughs> so there's it's issues of morale, it's crew organisation, keeping the two the two grumpies apart in some cases. Yeah, because um, people do rub each other the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's as it's, it's, it's as much man management, boat management, and everything else, and that's why you need this mix of skills on board, don't you, to actually allow, yes. if you like, your brain yeah. and yourself to to manage th these situations. Yes, it's, and and some things you've got nip in the bud because you can't just send 
in a work management environment, you can't send people home. Right? <laughs> no. You've got to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, the plank the plank becomes an option, but yes, no. <laughs> I, I've thought about that once. Yes, <laughs> I almost, I almost, I've almost dropped somebody off at an island before. But I won't go into that here. Nigel, we could speak for for weeks, days, months uh, on on all things like this. It's it's an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, and and learning from you and hearing from you some of the stories that uh, you've you've come across and some of the experiences you've had personally and professionally. So perhaps we could catch up with you again for another podcast in the future, perhaps look a bit more detail uh, into the Yacht Master and boat handling and such like when we're doing the bot the yacht master courses uh, but today has been uh i hopefully for people a bit of a revelation on what to think about if they're considering getting uh, another ticket uh and it's more than just a few laurel leaves around a badge certainly is yes okay and um, look forward to next time nigel rennie thank you very much indeed for being our guest today business on board with carrie herford jones